1: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order, additional term supply.
2: Welcome to the Connection, a weekly radio program where we share our experiences and expertise with stories of caring, courage, and change right here in Connecticut. Listen to learn about needed resources to improve your well-being and transform your life. Now, here are the hosts of the Connection, Lisa demattis Lapore and Ann Baldwin.
0: And good morning, once again, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Connection. I am one of your hosts, Ann Baldwin, and I'm the president and CEO, of Baldwin Media, and my other co-host, Lisa Demandis Lapori, um, will not be joining us on the show because we've got a full house and we only have so many microphones. So, um, anyway, she's not going to join us, but. You know, she's here in spirit, and she's listening to this program, and we're so excited to have uh, two great folks to talk about a very interesting subject on today's program. We've got Robin McHale, and she's a founder and executive director of True Colors, and Robin, welcome to the program. Thanks. Happy to be here. Absolutely. And John Lawler, a returning guest, he's the director of Homeless Youth Services at The Connection. So we've got a very interesting topic today for our audience, because it's something that we don't always address, correct? Mm -hmm. And uh, we're going to talk about LGBTQ issues and things that are happening here in our state with homeless youth. So, Robin, why don't you start by defining, you know, it used to be just LGBT, Mm -hmm. and now we've added a Q to it. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to have you... I'm, okay, go ahead.
1: Good. So um, Q is, that's the least of it. So here's how I always introduce okay. the subject. All right. Um, True Colors works with gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, intersex, queer, questioning, two-spirit, same-gender-loving, pansexual, flexual, not straight, not labeling, straight straight straight-so-far, straight with options, straight-but-stuff-happens, gender-bending, gender-bending, bi-gendered, pan-gendered, agendered, asexual, non-binary, and other sexual and gender minority youth. So the labels keep Wait a, it a minute, standing. That sounds like a doctor. <laughs> that sounds like a Dr. Seuss book. <laughs> it almost does. <laughs> right. And um, and so, um, you know, I always start with the litany of the labels just to let people know that the labels are changing. And so the Q, um, for some people, the Q might mean queer. For some might, people, the Q might mean questioning, depends on, on where they are in their journey. And queer is a word that some people... Um, Really have reclaimed, you know. It's a word that was used to hurt people years ago. I That's mean, I, I a grew pro- up. Right? I have a problem even saying it. Right, and um, and it's a word that definitely requires contextualization. That it's sort of okay for some people to say and not for others, um, but for some young people, it's an identity. You know, it's actually how, and and actually, um, older folks too. That it's an identity, um, and so. Um, You know, I I recommend with queer that people use it very carefully, (laughs) and that um, I say,
0: generally speaking, I say LGBTQ+, and just leave it at that. Okay. And the thing is, you've also written several books and articles Mm -hmm. um, on LGBT youth concerns, and um, Mm -hmm. you're known nationally as well as a leader with youth concerns. So let me ask you this. How does um, True Colors and The Connection, how do you work together, John? What's the connection here? Literally. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, I mean, in our particular program that really focuses on providing a shelter and longer-term housing services to homeless youth, uh, LGBTQ plus youth are so highly overrepresented in, in that particular population. Um, some, some studies have them up to 40 percent of all homeless youth are LGBTQ plus. Uh, So pretty early on, getting our feet wet about five years ago, working with the population, um, we knew that we were going to hit a a huge influx of youth that we just did not have a huge amount of experience with yet. Uh, So we reached out to Robin to help with some of the, the training, help getting us to understand the issues that LGBTQ plus youth are facing when they come into, uh, you know, a program like ours. Um, and True Colors has just a, an incredible web, an incredible network of being able to um, find these y- very vulnerable young people. Uh, and so they became a pretty consistent referral source for us as well. LGBTQ plus homeless youth are often like the truly invisible population. They are very difficult to find. They do not try to enter mainstream shelter systems because of concerns over safety, because of concerns over lack of affirmation mm. when they're there. Um, and, and so uh, the agency, like True Colors uh, have just been instrumental in being able to help uh, connect them to our particular resources um, to, to get them off the streets and get them out of very dangerous situations. You know,
0: that's interesting that you say that, John and, and Robin. I, I never thought about that, right? So, you know, they're a vulnerable population. So let's, um, you know, I don't, obviously, I don't ever focus on stereotypes, but what is the demographic? Who are these homeless youth out there? What's their age range? What kind of backgrounds do they come from? Um, Well, I would have to say they're from every background. (laughs)
1: Um, That the, the thing that they have in common most often is the lack of family support that the single most important indicator of outcome for for kids is the response of their families. When their families are supportive, in general, those young people have no higher risks than any other um, teenager. But when their families are rejecting, that correlates with every risk factor you can name, including homelessness. So what a lot of these young people have in common, it's not about race, ethnicity, religiosity, um, or any other sort of demographic other than the fact that their families Um, for the most part, were not supportive of their identities, and family um, harassment or family violence or discord resulted in them leaving. And a lot of young people couch surf for a long time before they end up homeless, and to John's point, um many lgbt youth feel like the services will not be supportive of them that they can't trust the staff to protect them from other youth they also can't trust the staff to not be the perpetrators themselves Mm. and so one of the things that we've really appreciated about our relationship with the connection is that when they went into this they invested in in Making sure that they understood what the needs of the population were, and they've done you know focus groups with their young people. They've in, they've the young people that they're housing that they meet with them regularly to say you know how are things going? What could we do better? And so you know I think they've really created a system of support for every young person that, that comes into their program, including those who are LGBT. And so we feel really comfortable referring kids to them because we know that they'll be well taken care of once they get there.
2: Yeah, it was a really in- important insight for us when we were um, first starting our program and that we, we spent a lot of time interviewing the LGBTQ plus youth that we had in our program to see what would work, like what would a, a, a the right type of shelter model um, look for them. And what they consistently described was not a shelter at all. It it really wasn't in a place where you're going to be with 20 other residents and you have to worry about, OK, am I going to be bullied or harassed or at risk there? Um, and, and so that's exactly what we didn't do with our shelter model. We just rented out a bunch of uh, two-bedroom apartments throughout the community, um, and that worked. I think after two years, 25% of the individuals that we served were trans. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was kind of our litmus test that, okay, this is a this is a crisis housing model that uh, the trans community will actually accept. They'll view as safe enough to enter um, and avoid a lot of those, those terrible outcomes that right. a lot of youth uh, face when they don't get into kind of a, a safe environment. But
0: quickly. you're still renting apartments in May- Mainstream America right mm-hmm. and mainstream, Connecticut. How's that working out?
2: It's a tough pitch we're, we're very fortunate in terms of we've been able to find some rather large property owners who really do buy in um, To what we're trying to do to provide the safety to homeless young people um, Knowing that uh, for the most part they became homeless because of family rejection They have the potential to resolve their homelessness pretty quickly with with the right supports um, and and uh, yeah, we've just been very very fortunate in terms of being able to uh, get our foot in the door in the right places and and prove it to uh, the landlords in the community that this that this can work.
0: So how long have you two been working together? How long has True Colors and Youth services at the connection. How long have you had this relationship? At least five years. Yeah, I think
2: we're about five, going on six years old in terms of yeah. the homeless youth program. So
0: long enough to measure the outcomes. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about that. We know what the issues are going in. Mm-hmm. What are some of the success stories that you've seen, Robin, and and even you know you, John, coming out?
1: Uh, well, you know, like one of the things that we've seen is that. A lot of times the, the, the youth, especially the eighteen to twenty four year olds, that they just need if they didn't come in through the system, you know, if they if they didn't spend their lives, their early teen lives in the system, but became homeless or unstably housed a little bit later in their process, that often they just need, you know, a safe place to land so that they can develop the skills that they need. So, you know, I think about some of the first cohort um, that were in there, that there's, you know, a number of those young people are now working full-time. Um, they continue to work with you, actually, in the in the youth um Um, project. Giving back. Yep, giving back. And so not only have they gotten their lives on track, but they're now working to help other young people get their lives on track and to use their experience as having been homeless or unstably housed to make sure that the systems that we put together um, are really meet the needs of other young people. So
0: what are some of their biggest issues in society? I mean, especially for our listening audience, which You know, here we are on WTIC, and um, what are some of the biggest, you know, obstacles that these kids face, and some of the stereotypes? I don't even want to talk about the stereotypes because you know what? If we talk about them, we're drawing more attention to it. So I don't want to do that. But and you know, and my this is maybe one of those questions. Like I can't believe you're going to ask that, but I want to ask the questions that that I want to ask, and that maybe our listeners want to ask. Why does it, or is it me, that it seems that this? this new community and you know this questioning your sexuality is much more prevalent today i don't remember you know back in my day you know we had you knew we've either you were straight or you were gay and and really there were few of those in my er- in you know good old redneck colorado but why does it seem like it's such an emerging population i think on
1: the the one hand there's now a language for people to describe their experiences. So, you know, the average age that young people are coming out as gay, lesbian, or bisexual is 11 to 13. Wow. And 10 years ago, the average age was 19 for boys and 22 for girls. So you think about that you know, 10 years ago, people were launched. And if their families, re, you know, had a, a difficult time, they had some ways to care for themselves. Now young people are coming out sooner. They have access to the internet. Almost everybody knows somebody personally who's gay, lesbian, or bisexual. And so many, that breaks down a lot of the stereotypes, a lot of the biases. Um, I think- So that's a good thing. And that's a good okay. thing. And so I think that that's why more people are coming out, feel safe enough to come out. There's no indication that there's more LGBT people than there used to be just that people are open about it Mm -hmm. differently. It used to be that you thought they were... you know, unmarried women living together. Uh, yeah, not so much, uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, and then for trans kids, I think it's also a similar thing that, that there's a language to describe their experiences that didn't exist, you know, even five or 10 years ago. And so people thought they were the only one or they thought that they didn't have any words to describe it. We still, I think that, that you know, when I do in my trainings and I ask people, how many people know somebody personally who's lesbian, gay, or bisexual, everybody, every hand in the room goes up. Then I ask, how many people know somebody personally who identifies as transgender? And then less than a third of the hands go up. And one of the most effective forms of prejudice reduction is face-to-face interactions over a period of time. So... You know, the more you meet people and the wider, greater variety of people that you meet, the more it begins to break down the stereotypes Absolutely. that you have. Absolutely. So for trans folks, lots of folks thinks they don't think they don't know anybody who's trans. And so they have to rely on what they hear in the media mm-hmm. or, you know, what they see on television. And, and so there's still a huge number of myths and stereotypes about who folks are. And the truth is the people who don't fit neatly in a box called masculine – or a box called feminine, especially if they were assigned male at birth, um, or boys get huge amounts of harassment still, and it starts really early. And um, you know that the box for femininity has gotten pretty big, yeah, you know, yeah <laughs> right. over the, the last twenty-five is, years. Yeah, yeah right. exactly.
0: The box for masculinity continues to be very small and very rigid. right. That's a really and, good uh, point. Yes, absolutely. So when you see these kids, and you said you get two-bedroom apartments, so do they have roommates? Do you put folks together? How do you figure that out?
2: Uh, yes, it's, we, we kind of do the – it's almost like a game show. It's like the matching game a little bit. Um, so we just see uh, – oftentimes we're com- when we come across a youth, they are actively homeless in really um, dire circumstances. So we just put them in the first open bed that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, And then we kind of test out the waters to see how that match is going with the roommate. We have the ability to kind of switch people around um, because we have so many apartments. Um, to see what works best. What we've uh, come across though is that there's such a need uh, particularly for trans youth who, who have the most Hesitation towards engaging in, in shelter services mm-hmm. um, There is such a need that we've never at, at any point in our program's history only ever had just one homeless trans youth to work with We're always at least two.
0: So how many do you have in your in your facility right now?
2: Right now? We have or in your program in, I in pro- say. Yeah, and program in terms of our, our kind of modified shelter services is about three trans youth right now um, in our longer-term uh, uh, housing services that goes about two years. I want to say it's an additional three. So that's not very youth. many. No, it's not too too many. But I think we're serving about I want to say about forty in total right now. So if
1: you have, I don't know, I can't do the math. I'm a social worker. But <laughs> if you <laughs> if you look at six trans youth out of forty beds, um, you know, like you can do the math on that. Trans um, folks represent just around one percent of the population. Um, so it should be point 0.4, <laughs> right, right, um, right, and you've got and you've got six. So there's an overrepresentation um, of of trans youth in the, the system. And for us, we find a lot of times kids who come in through DCF, you know. That, that LGBT youth and trans youth in particular have many, many more times p- the placements. So, you know, like a, a typical kid might have two or three placements while they're in care. A trans kid might have 20 or 30 placements. Homes. Uh, homes. You know, moving around from mm-hmm. group home to mm-hmm. group home, mm-hmm. from foster home to foster home. And, and when kids move like that, it it Im- it impacts their emotional development it certainly impacts their educational development um, just totally disrupts their their schooling because they're changing schools all the time and they're losing um, time and then they age out and they don't have the education or the skills to get a job that creates a living wage and so you know nationally about 11% of of children who age out of care, regardless of their orientation or gender identity, um, it you know, become homeless within a year. Wow. And um, and and
0: for LGBT youth, that number is significantly higher. If you're just tuning in, we're speaking with Robin McHalen. She's the founder and executive director of True Colors and John Lawler, who's the director of Homeless Youth Services at The Connection. So how, what's the entry process? You know, a lot of people out there listening may say, so, you know, how do i access these services i mean obviously you can go to the connection inc theconnectioninc.org is the website but you're physically out there like walking the streets looking for these folks or how do you find them
2: I mean, our strategy, for the most part, has to, to really been create a, a network. Um, they a, talk a, to each other. They yes. Social
0: yes, so. media. It's yeah, the word gets around.
2: Yeah. So a lot of our uh, a lot of our referrals come from um, youth that have gone through our program because they become aware of other LGBTQ plus youth who are also struggling with housing or, or who are actively homeless. Um, like, in terms of uh, what you were mentioning, the street outreach piece, which is walking the streets, that's not gonna be a very effective way to, to find LGBTQ plus youth. They are intentionally in trying to, to hide for the most part. Um, and, and so it's really about trying to find those systems or those agencies or those people that they have some level of interface with and get the word out. Right. And we them. work,
1: uh, True Colors works with the Department of Children and Families. We work with the Court Sor- Support Services Division, which is juvenile um, justice. Uh, we work with schools all over the state. There and you so go. so yeah. the, the young people come in through, you know, they call us through all these different um, avenues. And then, you know, um, I will call the connection, you know, in this part of the state, I'll call the connection or, you know, and try to make the referral in through that way. People do still come in through 2 one though, right?
2: Yeah. Our primary, um, referral source is through 2 one which is kind of what's called the coordinated entry. They kind of want just a, a one-stop door, um, for all individuals seeking some type of shelter, uh, services.
1: I still think that, that, um, that, you know, as, as young people turn 24 and 25 and start losing access to young adult services, we have an awful large number of trans youth, young adults, that I, I mean, I got a call yesterday or the day before for a, a 24-year-old trans girl, a young woman who, you know, had a terrible experience in a shelter because they didn't place her in a woman's shelter, they placed her in a man's shelter, a men's shelter. And... You know, she was assaulted, wow. and so now you know she's she's basically on the street and looking for what's safe, but terrified to go back into the um, the shelter system um, because the young ones, you know, early twenties, twenties, you know, it's just not very safe regardless of their orientation.
2: Yeah, I think that really highlights um, what we see both locally in Connecticut but also nationally is that uh, that's the trans experience trying to access shelter. It really um, does not come across as a safe environment. And so your options are left are, uh, I can sleep on the street, which is also not particularly safe, or what we see very often is what's called survival sex, which is, um, okay, I'm essentially exchanging uh, sex, my body, for a place to stay for a night or two. And the trans community, LGBTQ plus community, is about seven or eight times more likely uh, to engage in that particular behavior um, than cisgender uh, heterosexual kids. And that's where we see some really heavy risk. I mean, we know that LGBTQ plus youth have about twice the likelihood of early death uh, when they're homeless than, than, than other kids. Um, and, and so that's, that's why this is a really key population to hone in on in terms of homeless services um, in, in that they are by far the most vulnerable. We've got about 15 years worth of research um, that now that's sh- kind of screaming that particular message. Um, and what it does is it re- reflects to us as, as systems, as homeless providers, that we have to get better at serving. We have to create better environments, create better sense of safety. And, and education. Hold. And education. Absolutely, absolutely right. education. Right.
1: About 15% of the transgender population nationally Is unemployed or underemployed. Um, That about a similar percentage makes under $15,000 a year. And so, you know, having people be able to access employment you know people have skills people have mm-hmm. you know a full range of capabilities but if the if the systems are discriminatory right and that's then, our message to right, our listeners too
0: right. it's not just helping the people out there or the or awareness for the families who might have a transgender you know child it's the employer right. i had i had i i'm assuming and again i'm really still not very educated on this you know shame on me but i'm just not so i think i had a transgender um person, but you don't call them transgender persons. What's the right term? You can call them a person who's transgender. A person who's transgender transgender um, as a waitress the other day. Mm -hmm. Probably one of the best waitresses (laughs) I've ever had. But, you know, it was a little startling Mm -hmm. in the beginning because it was obviously looked to me one way, but then when they spoke, it was another thing. So I was a little bit taken aback at first. I think I probably looked shocked, but then I got used to it and it was great. We had, I had a great experience. But you know, it just takes time to get used to that. You know, the thing about
1: gender is that it's so visceral, and we're trained so early yeah. on the messages about what a man is supposed to be like and what a woman is supposed to be like that when someone is not that, we get very taken aback because we don't have the background or experience to to understand that people are in all different mm-hmm. are in all different ways, and um, and the other thing is is a. You John and I, we, I did a training with John yesterday, um, and his team. That you know, that people who go through puberty in a body that they don't want to have as an adult. So if you go through a male a puberty in a male body, but you're really a woman, um, there's going to be things that happen to your body that that even if you wanted surgery or um, or hormonal intervention, you can't undo the size of your hands and feet. You know, you can't undo your height and the the width of your shoulders. And so, you know, folks who sometimes go through puberty in a body that they don't want um, spend much of the rest of their lives being read as something other than who they are.
0: Right. And that in itself is a dangerous situation for people. Right. Now, you just mentioned that you two did a presentation together. And for our listeners out there, do you do that? Because I know there's a lot of organizations that want to educate you know, their employers, their employees, you know, that need to be educated on this. And I think the way that you explain it, like I've learned so much today. So will you two do that together? Do you give presentations together? Yeah.
2: Yeah. I will say Robin's an expert, expert <laughs> trainer. I know. I mean,
0: I've, right I've got all these credentials here <laughs> that I didn't even get to. Um, you know, she's gotten leadership awards, and she's gotten creative leadership and human rights awards and Social Worker of the Year awards. And <laughs> so how can people reach you? So um, our website is
1: OurTrueColors.org. Um, True Colors was taken when back in 1994 when we were starting, <laughs> um, and so it's our TrueColors.org, and we do lots and lots and lots. We train over 5,000 people a year. Um, in fact, I'm leaving here to go to, um, an area bank, uh, to do a presentation, uh, with, I think they have 75 people, um, from their team that, that are participating in that. Just on awareness. So when they have transgender right, and, you know, customers and, and also, come in and. Exactly. That, you know, um, LGBT customers and then LGBT, um, coworkers. How do you create an environment where both are welcome? And we know from a, an employer's perspective. The more diverse your team is, the higher the level of pro- productivity, um, the higher the um, level of employee satisfaction. So, having LGBT people on your team improves productivity and improves um, the outcomes, the business outcomes. But it has to be an environment in which they feel safe to be themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're, if they come in, but they're, but they're able, they have to be closeted. That's a whole different. Yeah. That's a whole different thing, so.
2: But yeah, that's a huge, huge help, too. Uh, I mean, one of the things that we struggle with with youth who are in our program is the employment piece. Right. We'll, mm-hmm. we'll get through that initial barrier of finding a, an employer who's willing to, to give an LGBTQ kid a, a shot, but then they have to deal with all their co-workers. Right. Yes. And that's such a different uh, story. So right. the education piece and, and just getting the, the message out there, more encouraging people to have more interface with LGBTQ mm-hmm. people just to get um, a, you know, more at ease and to, to learn it's OK. It's, it's, right. gonna be able to I to also
1: I think one of the messages we give in schools is that in order you know that the number one reason that people get fired now is not because they don't know their job, it's because they can't get along with other people. You know, the US is one of the most diverse countries in the whole world. And if you know, we all have the skills to get along with people who are like us, right. what we need are the skills to get along with people who are not like us. And so I, I tell people all the time, you don't have to agree, you don't have to approve, but you have to be respectful and you have to be kind. Mm-hmm. That's all you need.
0: Right? And then I would assume too, you know, on the other end of that, LG LGBTQ community, they also have to be told, you know, be what you want to be, but you don't need to be, you know, distractive or you don't need Mm -hmm. to be annoying with it. Because, you know, frankly, we've all seen that, right? Mm -hmm. We've seen the very flamboyant and outspoken and, Mm -hmm. you know, and and some people, you know, we need to accept it, but they also need to learn how to...
1: That's interesting, because I think on the other side of that coin is that there's lots of um, LGBT people would say, "Listen, straight folks, quit talking about your kids and your husbands all the time, because Ah! enough is damn enough." (laughs) (laughs) So we're annoying too. Is that what you're trying to tell me? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I think touche. I will say, because I think you know sometimes the humans can be annoying. Oh my gosh, you think so? Right, and so I'm annoyed every day by,
0: by lots of humans. Right. And so
1: we can say to people, you know, in this environment, could you, in fact, that's a conversation we have with youth all the time. Like how, what, what matters to you, right? Is this, what, as we look at like your presentation, what, how you're dressed, you know, all the different things that that's going on, what matters more, the culture of the job that you want to work in or your ability to express yourself. Because if the job matters more, then let's talk about how you might have to moderate parts of who you are. If the ability to express yourself matters more, let's talk about what employers, where that might be um, common. Because the truth is, there isn't a human being on the face of the planet who gets to bring their whole self to work. No, <laughs> nor,
0: nor do we want that. Right, <laughs> right, right. So we all
1: have to modify ourselves
0: in we some do. way. We that, do, that's a really good another. point. And, um, right, I, th- I say that to myself every day. What, You know, regardless of what goes on, Mm -hmm. you know, the night before I walk into the office or that morning, Mm -hmm. you know, I just, I got to leave it at the door Mm -hmm. and then just take a deep breath and walk in and be Mm -hmm. professional and do what I got to do to get through the day and service my clients. That's a really good point. You really help me put things in perspective. (laughs) You do. Because I, you know, people might say that I'm just one of those folks that's, that's not accepting, but accepting, but the more I've been exposed to all kinds of lifestyles, the more I'm getting it, Mm -hmm. you know? So I think there is hope for people even like me who's like, (laughs) what the heck is wrong with people, you know? And, but you know, that's just, that's intolerance, right? So I think we all have to be a little bit more tolerant and perhaps open our hearts and our homes to these folks who, you know, it's somebody's kid. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, You know, it's somebody's kid that's just, you know, has these question marks and the good news is there are resources out there. Mm -hmm. We're looking for a foster home right now for a 16
1: year old transgender boy that, um, the foster family that looked like was going to be appropriate for him, um, he was supposed to move in next week, and they backed out at the last minute. So he has experienced yet another rejection, um, and so we're really and, and he can go anywhere in the state. Um, so if there's anybody out there that has room in their heart in their homes, understand that there's a teenager somewhere in Connecticut that's looking for you. What
0: would you say? A twenty?
1: He's a sixteen-year-old sixteen-year-old a transgender, transgender boy.
0: Transgender boy, right? All right. And if you want more information, again, you can contact TheConnectionInc.org, or you can also go to OurTrueColors.org. And, uh, again, Robert, Robin McHalen and John Lawler, thank you so much. This was enlightening, and, uh, again, I love it when I learn a few things, and hope, hopefully our listeners did too. Whether you like it or not, this is the world we live in, right? All right, and thank you all for being part of our listening audience right here on WTIC News Talk 1080. Oh mm-hmm.